Previously, uncover up the pill plot. Keep the implant closed. Keep it closed. You can take a pill, no one knows you're having an abortion. And in this day and age, that's what you need. The Federal Drug Administration issued an import alert that banned anyone from bringing our Euphoria 6 into the country for personal use. This is something that we need to defend women. So we became outside agitators. I guess I'll start by asking, how did you first meet Larry? I'll never forget the first time I saw him. It was my mother's birthday, June 24th, 1961. Joan later was studying in Italy at the time, and she took her mom to this remote beach along the Amalfi Coast. There was almost nobody there. And about 5.30 in the afternoon as we were leaving, we literally bumped into Larry. The backdrop is so cinematic, you can just imagine the scene. Joan, this Scottish student, a secluded beach, and this mysterious American stranger, Larry. His hair was disheveled. He had on an old T-shirt and old swimming trunks and um, nothing terribly great to look at. He invited us for a drink and we stayed and chatted, and he was the most fascinating guy I had ever met. Larry is in Italy for work. He's a writer, stringing for places like Life magazine and The New Yorker. He's in Italy searching for his next great story. He was staying in a hotel that a lot of writers stayed in, and they had a common terrace that wrapped all the way around, and they all shared a bathroom. And they shared a lot of other things, and he called the group the Lounging and Letching Society. There were sort of two Larrys. In some ways, Larry's total old boys club. He grew up rich, he kicks it at the Harvard Club, and summers in the Hamptons. You can picture that guy. But then, Joan tells me about this guy. Our telephone was tapped. So we had to be very careful if anybody called. We did not know until we had another separate line put in. The technician said, do you know that your phone is tapped? You see, Larry rolls with a radical crew. We were quite friendly with Betty. That's Betty as in women's rights legend Betty for Dan. Larry started hanging out with her when he had just graduated from Harvard and Ferdan was still an undergrad at Smith. I read The Feminine Mystique when I was 15. And my dad actually bought it for me um, when I turned 15 and he was like, you should read this. <laughs> Terrific for your dad, my gosh. And Larry has unpopular opinions, dangerous opinions. And he's saying these opinions, these convictions out loud to a lot of people. And our guests on this panel are Alfred Julian and Lawrence Later, who's author of a book about to be published called Abortion. In 1966, he goes on New York Public Radio. This is seven years before Roe v. Wade. Abortion is still mostly illegal in the state and across the country. I happen to believe 
that these abortion laws should be broken right and left, as at least a million women a year are doing. Uh, I think that the only way we can eliminate them is to go to court, to break them openly and openly over and over again. But so I don't I, think you meant to imply, Larry, that the way to cope with this is to encourage people to break the law. I'm sure you... They're already the, breaking it. They've been know, breaking it for 100 years. You cannot advocate I, anarchy on our program, sir. I <laughs> don't know whether I'm talking anarchy, leftism, rightism. I'm well, talking common we can, sense. We can uh, rectify the Listening to Larry speak... I get the sense that he's thought this through and he's ready to go to jail for the cause or maybe start a revolution. If men and women have the right to vote, if they have the right to live as human beings, they have the basic right of deciding whether they should have children or not have children. This to me is one of my basic rights in this country. And if I don't have it, I think women should be out in the streets screaming as they did for the vote. Right. Well, thank you, Mr. Leder. I'm sure that quite a few of them will as a result of your talk. And just to repeat, there is... Larry's book, Abortion, winds up being cited in the Roe v. Wade decision eight times. And this is what I find so bizarre about Larry when I'm listening to him. He comes from a rarefied world. You can hear it in his voice. He could have been the rich, progressive guy donating to various causes, sitting on boards, getting tickets to charity galas, maybe pro bono work. But that's not his style. Larry doesn't dabble in causes. He's laser-focused on one issue, abortion rights. And he pulls his wildest, riskiest move at the age of 72. Nobody expected it. It struck me as revolutionary, in a sense, a game-changer. From the get-go, I had learned never to be surprised by what he might come up with. When he decides to bring RU486 into the U.S., it's by any means necessary, even drug smuggling. But if Larry wants to pull that off, he's going to need help, specialized help. He's got to assemble a team. From Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up the Pill Plot. I'm your host, TJ Raphael. On today's show, we unfurl the blueprint of the pill plot and meet the mastermind and the team trying to make the impossible possible. Chapter 2, The Blueprint. Stay with us. This is Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. I'm Steve Taylor, your host to a horror anthology podcast where we ask you to depart from your safe perception of reality to descend with us into the frightening depths and dark corners of twisted imaginations. With carefully curated original tales of terror each week, our deepest rooted fears are brought to the forefront by a diverse cast of voice talent and masterfully eerie sound design that bring these stories to life. We'll give you tales of unnerving encounters with the occult, harrowing hauntings, and sinister seances that show just how darkness knows no bounds. Make sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. When I started researching the abortion pill last year, Larry's name kept popping up. 
in old news articles, archival documents, court filings. Over and over, I kept seeing this name, Larry Later. I've been on the reproductive health beat for years. I've made a whole show about sperm and egg donors. This is my zone, but I had never heard of him. I was like, Larry Later? Who is this guy? We've been in this apartment since 1961. So I went to visit Joan Later. Look at it. And so here's this typewriter. This, I was with him. He bought this in Rome. And um, he wanted this uh, Olivetti. They certainly don't make them like this anymore. It's funny, he could graduate to a fax machine, but not an, not a computer. computer. Right, right. Joan lives in the same Manhattan co-op she and Larry shared for 45 years. Larry died in 2006, when he was 86 years old. Their apartment is spectacular, by the way. It's like a pre-war dream. Tasteful, homey. There's a full-on grand piano overlooking this historic church. He was not a doctor. He never went to medical school. I think when he was at college, he was so involved in various different causes that um, he wasn't such a great student either. You know, When Larry gets swept up in a cause, it's like he gets tunnel vision. And he doesn't have patience for hesitation or half-steps. That, and also, he didn't have a job. So <laughs> He had time. <laughs> as you know, having a job can take up a lot of your time. Larry has money. Money that buys him time to be a full-time activist. Money that allows him to devote himself to this issue. And he spends a great deal of that time connecting with high-profile feminists, like his old friend, Betty Friedan. One night in his living room, he hosts a meeting and helps starts the leading abortion rights group, NARL. I sat up there and watched it was all down here and on the couch. The same cover, the same wow. everything. This was here, too. There's a reason why Betty for Dan declares Larry the father of the abortion rights movement. When the Roe v. Wade decision comes down in 1973, Larry doesn't move on to the next issue. He remains vigilant for years, decades, really. And when he sees militant anti-abortion groups like Operation Rescue ramping up in the late 80s and early 90s, he pays attention. And he starts strategizing. If people can't get into the clinics, they can't access their right to an abortion. Which is why, when RU486 comes on the scene, Larry knows this is a game changer. It will vastly increase the privacy as well as accessibility of the procedure. The extremists cannot picket or attack every doctor in the country. The Bush administration banned it. Some have tried to lift the ban by lobbying, bureaucratic measures. But Larry's impatient. It's time for a new tactic. And he doesn't have to look too far for inspiration. In fact, he's already got a blueprint. Margaret Sanger, she inspired him tremendously. You might know Margaret Sanger as the founder of Planned Parenthood. Larry knew her as the subject of his first book. He thought he had to write a book. And he thought, well, a biography is the easiest thing to start. 
You might also know that Sanger has a fraught legacy. The New York chapter of Planned Parenthood has disavowed her for rooting her fight in the painful history of eugenics. But it's not a solely terrible legacy. Like I said, it's a fraught one. Because Margaret Sanger also played a big role in why people across the country can reach for a little tiny pill every day to take control of when and if they get pregnant. In this case, I mean the birth control pill and the sponge and condoms and so many different forms of birth control all the way back to the diaphragm. And the story of how Sanger brought birth control to the U.S. is quite a tale, one that would prove to be consequential in Larry's push to bring the abortion pill to the United States. It's called the One Package Case. Here he is talking about it on public radio station WNYC in 1966. In 1936, this one-package case completely reversed the federal birth control law so that really by court action, the old birth control law (coughs) fell into discard. It's true that New York... The one-package case, a.k.a. Margaret Sanger's plot to give Americans the legal right to birth control, starts in 1873 with the Comstock Act. The Comstock Act prohibits the mailing of, quote, obscene, lewd, or lascivious materials, which in the 1930s includes anything to do with contraception. And in the 1930s, contraceptives are still illegal in the United States. Doctors can't prescribe them, and it's a crime for Americans to import them because of, well, Comstock. Sanger tries to change the law for years, but nothing's working. So she figures if you can't change the law, test it. Sanger asks a doctor in Japan, where contraception is legal, to mail a package of pessieres, that's like a diaphragm, to her colleague in the US. But that's just one part of the plot. The most important, Sanger makes sure the government knows that the contraband is heading to the US. She wants it to be intercepted. And it works. Customs agents seize the package, and Sanger appeals to the federal government to get it back on the grounds that contraceptives are medically necessary, which would make them an exception under Comstock. And they win. The court rules that doctors have a right to prescribe birth control. Here's Sanger talking about the victory back in the 1930s. Thus the law of the land now recognizes birth control legally as a necessary part of medical practice. So when Larry sees what the government is doing with RU486, he knows he has to test the law too. And he has an idea about how to do it. He visits his longtime lawyer, Marshall Beale. I was the voice of reason and Larry was the voice of creativity. I won't say that I was the grown-up in the room because Larry was older than me. Larry makes his pitch. Like many other of Larry's ideas, I thought it was totally harebrained, totally crazy. And it goes something like this. Okay, so the goal is to lift that pesky federal ban on RU486. I want Americans to have access to it. So here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to find a pregnant woman who wants an abortion. She's got to be early in her pregnancy. I'm going to get this woman a prescription for the abortion pill. She and I will fly to London with the prescription. We'll get the pills. Then we'll smuggle the medication back to New York City. I'll alert customs officials ahead of time, of course. And, fingers crossed, customs will confiscate it. 
Then, drum roll please, the pregnant woman can sue the government to get the abortion pills back, and we can change the law. I was very concerned because the plan put him and the person he was going to be traveling with at risk of getting arrested and jailed. Marshall's right. To say that success wasn't guaranteed is a massive understatement. Larry runs his plot by a few lawyers, and they desperately try to warn him off. I've seen some of these letters. The attorneys tell him, quote, this is just not the way to get this accomplished. And, quote, there will be a very strong drive to bring a criminal prosecution. Civil liabilities could wipe out a Rockefeller. And, quote, I'm almost thinking out loud, but I wonder whether all possible alternatives have been explored, because this alternative is far too risky. But remember, Larry is persuasive. He talks with Marshall. And then the two of us sat down, and in our discussions, he came up with a plan that I thought would work. Marshall's on board, kinda. He's known Larry for a long time. He understands him. If the chances of winning are slim, Larry's still going to make the shot. As a crusader, he assumed that the worst would not happen, because if you think the worst is going to happen, you can't be a crusader. You have to assume that somebody out there is going to say, yes, you're right. With his lawyer reluctantly on board, Larry sets out to get the prescription for RU486. To do that, he needs to find a doctor who is willing to break the law. The drug has not been tested or approved yet in the United States. Are you convinced that it's safe? It has been tested and used by over 100,000 women in France, England, and other countries, and found to be very safe, in fact. Dr. Louise Tyre was an OBGYN and the former medical director of Planned Parenthood. That's her on NPR's Fresh Air back in the 90s. She passed away in 2010. Dr. Tyre was a big believer in RU486, and she was working hard to overturn the Bush administration's ban. When Larry hits her up for help, she's down with the plan. She agrees to be the scheme's doctor. She'll write a script and make sure everything goes smoothly and safely. So with a doctor on the team, Larry sets off to find the next piece of the puzzle, the key to the whole thing a pregnant woman willing to smuggle abortion pills into the U.S. illegally and be caught. He'd have to find a needle in a haystack, someone who wanted a medication abortion, but also was willing to put herself in the center of a national political firestorm. It was just very, very, very hard. Coming up, Larry searches for the Jane Roe of the 1990s and hits some bumps along the way. Stay with us. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. 
Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program. Once that door was closed, he was on the phone all the time. Larry's working his Rolodex hard to find a woman willing to sign on to his plot. He keeps striking out. So Larry realizes he can't do this on his own. He needs someone with a lot of connections, a fixer. Larry has just the person in mind. Steve Heilig, the director of public health for the San Francisco Medical Society. Steve's also not a doctor. He's a public health policy guy. But Larry knows that Steve also has a deep Rolodex. I knew a lot of really top-notch clinicians, you know, professors, heads of departments at local hospitals. These are all people I knew through the medical society. Like Larry, Steve is frustrated by the government's ban on RU486. You know, we got to break this logjam. This pill could sit in limbo here forever. Larry flies out to California to make the pitch. It struck me as revolutionary in a sense, a game changer. To give woman a choice, would you rather take the pills or have a surgical abortion? Larry lays it all out for Steve. For this heist to work, they'll need to find a pregnant woman. Larry can't get a prescription for the abortion pill for himself, but neither can just any pregnant woman. At the time, the abortion pill is only prescribed if a person meets certain criteria. They need to be under 35 years old, a non-smoker, and have no history of hypertension. And they have to be early in their pregnancy. It's a little different now, but back then, the abortion pill was only permitted for use through the eighth week. But the thorniest requirement was specific to this scheme. This pregnant woman had to be down with being the public face of the abortion pill at a time when most people kept their abortion secret. There was no hashtag my abortion story. That wouldn't come for two more decades. So Larry asks Steve. Can we find a patient who wanted to do this? Steve agrees to work his connections under one condition. Under no circumstances could his employer know about this scheme. It has to be secret. Larry's like, I got you. As Steve puts out the word to OBGYNs around San Francisco, Larry flies back to Manhattan and works the phones on his end. His address book was chock full of names. Larry locks himself in his office and makes calls all day and all night. He calls clinics, he reaches out to feminist groups on college campuses, he meets with doctors and nurses. And finally, he gets a couple of bites. 
Well, he had two or three possibilities. These possibilities are women who meet the medical requirements, and they want RU486. They would rather take some pills than undergo surgery, if given the option. But then Larry tells them, if this stunt works, it'll get tons of media attention. Your face will be on the evening news and on the front page of every newspaper across the country. We'll take this all the way to the Supreme Court. When Larry shares the intricacies of this plan, well, they bail. It did seem that no woman would put herself into that situation. One woman signs up and changes her mind that same day, afraid she'll lose her job when the news gets out. Another woman has the same turnaround, afraid the headlines could mess up her divorce. Finally, Larry gets a call from a woman who seems really promising. He arranges to meet her in person over dinner. The meeting turned out to be a soap opera fiasco. According to Larry's book, A Private Matter, RU486, when she arrives at the restaurant, she walks into the joint with an older man. They glide over to Larry's table and sit. Larry rehashes the plan for them. We'll fly to London, we'll get the pills, return to New York and meet the press. We'll tell the government to come and get us and we'll fight this in the courts. After hearing all of this, the older man grows distressed. He's like, you want to do what? Larry is pretty sure he knows what's happening here. The older guy is the pregnant woman's boss. They've been having an affair. He doesn't want any part of something so public. But I explained this all to you. No, darling. Impossible. My wife is a jealous Italian. You appear at a press conference, and my wife, the office, everyone will know about us. All I've worked for will be swept away in one big wave. The woman insists their affair would be kept secret. I am determined to go through with it. You do this, and I don't talk to you. You try to stop me, and I won't talk to you. They leave the restaurant, and that was the end of that. A year goes by, and Larry still hasn't found his Jane Rowe. I think he had almost given up. But then, Larry gets a phone call. This is a big choice to make, and you gotta make it quick. It's his fixer. He's found the one. That's next. Stay with us. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat. Available now. Is Meghan Markle like Princess Diana? Or is she just a social climber? I was silent. Were you silent or were you silenced? Is she a breath of fresh air or a master manipulator? That's what we're going to find out on my podcast, Infamous. Apparently ambition is a terrible, terrible thing. We'll look at what happened when two dysfunctional families came together. It's the family that I suppose she's never had. And how Meghan and Harry going Hollywood all went down. Only on the podcast, Infamous. You can unlock all episodes of Cover Up ad-free right now 
by subscribing to the Binge Podcast channel. Not only will you immediately unlock all episodes of this show, but you'll get binge access to an entire network of other great true crime and investigative podcasts, all ad-free. Plus, on the first of every month, subscribers get a binge drop of a brand new series. That's all episodes, all at once. Unlock your listening now by clicking subscribe at the top of the cover-up show page on Apple Podcasts or visit getthebinge.com to get access wherever you get your podcasts. Steve, Larry's fixer, is over in San Francisco working the phones. And he's kind of in the same boat as Larry. He's gotten a few nibbles. There were at least five, I think, who were committed, but then said, I just can't. I just can't because my parents will be so ashamed. Because everyone I work with will find out. Because my community will disown me. Everyone had a reason why. They just couldn't. They could not find that courageous person because they were looking into mainstream muck and that to find that person, they had to come to the most radical left coast, west coast. Lindsay Comey's still doing her thing in Oakland running Women's Choice Clinic when Steve reaches out to her colleague for help, a guy named Dr. Bud Gore. He's like, we need to break the ban. We need this. And I'm like, well, what do you really need? And it's like, we need a pregnant woman who's willing to go to England and stand up and do this. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, let's see what we can do. And the folks at Women's Choice Clinic get it. Pretty much right out of the gate. They find the one. So she was pregnant. She was going to have an abortion. This woman is not yet six weeks pregnant. She's 29 years old, and she fits the medical requirements. So Lindsay's staff ask her, Hey, you want to do a medication-induced abortion? Go fight the Supreme Court. What do you think? This is what's happening. And she was like, oh, okay, I can do that. Let's do it. This badass's name is Leona. You remember her, the punk from the flight? Leona was a person some of my staff knew personally. Lindsay isn't surprised that Leona is the one who finally fits the bill. She's from the Bay Area, the place that gave birth to the free speech movement and the Black Panthers. She was an activist. She'd been involved in the movement. And when anti-abortion activists came to San Francisco to blockade a clinic a few years before... Leona was right in the middle of that. She was a clinic defender. She'd been outside protecting women. She is primed for this mission. I think that when you are an activist and you believe that your life is about change, that you rise to the occasion. Leona is ready to break the law. She's ready to put her private medical decisions on display for the whole world to see. She'd do all that and more if it brings the abortion pill to the U.S. And I really viewed her as a soldier, that she was doing for American women what soldiers do all the time, putting your body on the line. She's just about six weeks pregnant. And at that time, the abortion pill could only be used through the end of the eighth week. That means they have less than two weeks to enact the whole plot. They need to fly to London, get caught up JFK, and push their case through the courts. 
they had to move. We got to get your tickets. We got to get your passport. I mean, it, it really was a rush job. On June 28, 1992, Leona flies across the country to meet Larry at his Fifth Avenue apartment. You know, there's some people who walk in and they're just immediately at home. She was just very comfortable in her skin. She was 29, freewheeling, but upright, physically upright, mentally upright. She was just carrying a small bag. It might even have been a knapsack type of bag. And she said she only had two pairs of jeans. Dr. Louise Tyre, the doctor who writes the script for Leona, is at Larry's apartment too. She flew in from her home in Nevada as soon as she heard they'd found their Jane Rowe. In the living room, Larry and Dr. Tyre ask Leona, are you ready to do this? I'm sure that there must have been a, a degree of nervousness there, but she was confident and she was very committed to women's rights. The next day, June 29, 1992, Leona and Larry are booked on a red eye. They pack their bags and call a cab. What did you say to her when she was leaving? Oh, just all the best, dear. They have the prescription from Dr. Louise Tyre in hand. If everything goes to plan, that prescription is Leona's ticket to the abortion she wants and a future in which it's available to everyone across the country. But as Leona boards the Red Eye to London late that night with Larry, her 72-year-old fancy-pants accomplice, it's hard to shake the lawyer's warning that this wild scheme might not be the way to get this accomplished. She had not been prepared in advance for what she would be facing. I said I had some medication, and they wanted to look at it, and I gave it to them. And the customs agents, they realized what had happened here, and they were not happy. They'd been tricked. Next time on Cover Up, The Pill Plot, the heist gets underway and Leona goes to battle once again. I'm angry, I'm stressed out. And they were out there chasing her down. We started to think, hey, maybe we have a shot here at winning this. I called up Harley and I said, Harley, I need you to come to New York City immediately. Cover Up, The Pill Plot is produced by Sony Music Entertainment. The show is hosted by me, TJ Raphael. Our story editor is Maureen McMurray. Our senior producer is Queena Kim. Our producer is Casey Georgie. Our associate producer is Kyra Asibe Bansu, along with Gabriela Santana. Our executive producer is Lizzie Jacobs. Sasonia Davenport and Tamika Balance Kalazny are our production managers. Theme music and mixing for this show was done by Joanna Catcher of Nice Manners. Additional music comes from APM. Our fact checker is Natsumi Ajisaka. Special thanks to Krista Ripple, Erica Gaida, Serena Chow, Rachel Troder, Catherine St. Louis, Tom Koenig, Steve Ackerman, Ryan Shepard, and Christopher Brown. The audio of Larry Later's WNYC appearance came to us courtesy of the NYC Municipal Archives. Special thanks to them and Andy Lancet at WNYC. You can listen to all of Cover Up the Pill Plot by signing up for the Binge and Apple Podcasts. And... We'd love for you to leave a rating and review while you're there, too. Have a question or comment about this week's show? Send me a tweet at TJ Raphael. Thanks so much for listening. For Sony Music Entertainment, I'm TJ Raphael.
You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.